I'm Maria Homan, and you're listening to Decoding Automation, a no-code podcast brought to you by Leapwork. Welcome to this episode of Decoding Automation, where we're going to be talking about how no-code test automation closes the skills gap in software development. Today, I have two guests with me in the studio, Walter Miller, account manager, and Florin Manol, product director here at Leapwork. So welcome to both of you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Uh, let's start out with uh, testers because they play a key role in everything that we're going to be talking about today. Florian, could you explain to me how the role of testers has changed since the introduction of test automation and what their roles and responsibilities are today versus when automation wasn't really in the picture? Yeah, I mean, they have uh, changed over time because technology changes and, of course, uh, both developers and testers need to adapt. And introducing automation is a big, uh, big step meaning that uh, they have more ways of uh, delivering test cases uh, in a more productive way because automation brings that part to to picture. Uh, Of course, in the past, testing meant you actually had to understand the actual code. So look at the code, what it does, maybe know a bit of coding yourself, do a bit of scripting on top of that in order to test that it's working properly. And now with the introduction of automation and automation tools, uh, you have a lot more uh, facilitators for these test cases to be delivered. Basically the platforms or the automation platforms will give you the connectors and all the underlying technical capabilities and the tester will only have to put them together in a more graphical way rather than the old programmatic way that was maybe 10 years ago. All right. And Walter, you talk to a lot of businesses that have testers employed and have you experienced that they find this there's a gap between what the testers are capable of doing? So that their expertise is, of course, within the business processes. And then when it comes to automating these processes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we take what, what Florian just said and even take it one step back, I mean, traditionally, testers has been manually. So you, you had a, a person who understand the application, who understand the processes, then went into the application and then started manually to try out if the different buttons, functions, login, flows, uh, tap down menu, and whatever you can do in the application actually worked. So I think the biggest switch has been from going from this manual process and way of thinking into automation. And that's where the scripting challenge actually come as, as, as Florian explained, because the testers, they were typically experts in the application and the business process and not in a scripting language. So having these people learn how to code is, is a major gap. So, so answering your question, yes, basically most of the companies that I'm, that I'm speaking with, they go from manual testing to automation or if they've already started automation, they have a challenge because many of their functional testers, they don't know how to code. Yeah, and, and it's a challenge not only in you know learning a new scripting language, but also just the switch from manual to automation is a challenge in itself, right? The mindset of automating is that you need to start viewing processes differently, basically, because there's a smarter way of setting them up than the manual approach. And then when you add that sort of level of sophistication and then you put the, the scripting on top of it, it just becomes a, a whole new 
level or area of expertise that you need to introduce into your business. And I think people are employed in different roles. They're employed, for example, as test automation engineers, right, with Selenium expertise, or maybe you're a ServiceNow tester, or you, you, you become an expert in a certain area, but then you still end up with these siloed roles. Yes, absolutely. So first you had the manual testers, then you had the automation specialist, and then you have the developers. And now you need to ensure that all of them are actually working together. And that creates a, another challenge because once you find the people who knows how to code and, and, and script, for them to pass that knowledge onto the manual tester is, is very, very difficult. And for the manual tester to pass their findings back to developer also becomes a challenge. So working across three teams with three uh, different uh, skills level, that becomes the major challenge. And it all boils down to that the person who understands the business logic behind the application don't have the coding skills or the coding knowledge required to drive automation. And, and that's where a new type of tools needs to emerge. Yeah. There's also another challenge here, I think, that's the, the transition to agile, right? Because while businesses are trying to introduce automation to become more agile, uh, the introduction actually means a, a barrier comes up to, to becoming agile because of this, this skills gap. So I don't know, Florian, could you tell us a little bit about that challenge of how it's a barrier? Yeah, I mean, most software, at least based companies, have adopted the agile methodology and some other business uh, companies also followed this because they employ a lot of software developers. So it's very suitable within a development environment. However, being agile means you have usually a two to three weeks sprint uh, that you need to deliver something which works. That means the developers will spend those allocated weeks of delivering new features, leaving very little time for the actual testing. Or there's a lot of pressure on the testers that they need to test a lot of functionalities or a lot of test cases need to be done within a very short time frame because usually the developers finish towards the end of the sprint within Agile. So the, there's a time pressure for the, for the tester. There's a volume pressure also for, for them because adding more and more functionalities means you need to test more uh, altogether within that application because you don't only test what you have in the current sprint, but you also need to make sure that whatever you developed in the past in the application still works and functionalities haven't been impacted by this. So, of course, Agile is a, it's a very good approach, but it increases the pressure on the testers and automation brings uh, brings a bit of help to them to, to deliver these actual test cases within an agile environment. Yeah, and what you're referring to there is I think what a lot of people know is like the classic regression testing dilemma is the scope of regression testing just increases over time, making it close to impossible to, to keep up as the product evolves. Yeah, that's true. And the regression testing is a key component in software development because with regression tests, you ensure the quality of your application altogether because in regression testing, you usually have all your key features tested all the time. Uh, so if those are always running, you ensure the quality of your application altogether. And in sensitive environments like financial services, that's, uh, I would say, key. Yeah, it becomes this, um, we sometimes talk about it as the test automation paradox. So this sort of, you want to introduce automation to make things easier, but it ends up costing you more time with the result that you have to choose between quality or speed instead of quality at speed, which I think is a pretty hyped term these days and sort of the objective that people are trying to 
to reach and everyone's writing about it and we want to get there. Um, but everyone's kind of on a diverging path somewhere along the way trying to reach that objective. So what's the solution to all this? Coming from a, a vendor background as we are with you know a no-code platform, we're obviously going to be a little bit biased in this approach, but there are a lot of no-code solutions out there, a lot of low-code solutions out there, a lot of code-based solutions out there. They're all very different in their approach. And I think having you two in the studio today is really great because, Florin, you have the very technical background and Walter, you have the business background. Um, so you can each tell us about the benefits and, and limitations of these from their own side. So let's start with you, Walter. What does this mean when, when you've seen a product that's code-based versus a product that's no code? How do you approach those? Right. I, I can speak for myself as, as being a business person. I have a, a degree in, in business management. When going back to, to again, the testers and, and how they have evolved, you understand the business and, and the logic behind the application. So you would like to have a tool that can make it easy for you to automate this and, and test it from a user and, and business logic perspective. You don't want to go into writing some scripts uh, because you only have this business understanding. The testers that would use uh, the no-code would be the, the manual testers. If you then move into low-code solution, you still need to have an understanding of, of coding. It might be easier than, than a fully code system, but it still requires that to put in some snippets or copy-paste some snippets. And then you, if you take it even a step further um, and look at the coding solutions that are out there, that are catered for, for people with this very heavy technical background. So having a tool that can cater for all three things is actually what I'm looking for as a business person because I want to ensure that my application works. Then I have some testers who needs to test if it actually works. And if something changes, that needs to be putting back into the development. Why not shortcut that and actually let the tester build their flows with their understanding of the knowledge and let the tester actually do the automation instead of having three layers of people working on the same problem without them actually understanding fully what's all about here. Mm. And that's why I believe that just having a no-code solution is really not enough. You also need to have some kind of uh, language which is uh, easily understandable from a business perspective. Yeah, and that's why when we talk about no code, that's saying what it's not, right? So a lot of people say what they don't have. They don't have code as part of the product. But then what is it? That's where the real difference lies because then you can you can visualize processes or tests in different ways. And in Leapworks product, it's it's a visual flowchart presentation. But what about you, Florian? You come from the technical perspective. I think a lot of developers out there actually like to be able to set these up as code-based solutions. So what do you think? Yeah, I mean, we still see a lot of demand for uh, very technical solutions, meaning low-code and code-based approach. That gives a lot of power to the actual developers, which they are usually after. Even some of the testers uh, prefer the coding approach because it gives them an advantage over some of the other employees or, I don't know, whoever they are competing against, uh, it gives them a competitive advantage in the skills world. For example, I was talking to a bank in the US, actually several of them, but uh, one of them in particular, they said they have about 10,000 Selenium-based scripts. I mean, maintaining those, you need an army of people just to maintain them, not to talk about new things to be created on that platform. So a code 
code-based approach is not scalable. It's similar as you would create a, a, another application on the side of the actual application, which is a, a huge overhead in, in most companies. And they've realized that. So most companies have done this transition to the low-code approach. But some companies have reached the maturity here with the low-code solutions, and they've reached a ceiling. Again, they've created quite a few test cases or even uh, automation flows in general, uh, because RPA is also in discussion here, where you have a few thousand workflows using a low-code solution, you would again need to maintain that. If something fails, you would need to find that snippet, as Walter mentioned, or piece of code. It's, it's a one-liner, but still, to find that one thing that breaks your automation and fix it, and then test it in maybe various scenarios, it will take you a long time. So a lot of companies have seen not so productive scaling solutions when going for low code. Hence, the last one and the most, uh, let's say, um, sought after part, which is a no code. This is definitely state of the art nowadays. And everybody's trying to approach this paradigm in, uh, in software, whether we're talking about automating processes or even developing applications. There are some solutions on the market which have started uh, enabling non-coders to develop software applications by using their own visual frameworks, which I think it's good because, again, you enable more people to, to develop applications and automation workflows. And again, you bridge this skills gap that we are talking about and uh, have a larger pool of selecting your, your people. Yeah, and the benefit of enabling people to work in a smarter way and giving it, putting it in their hands is, of course, also that you don't, on the flip side, get this shadow IT or people trying to do things in their own way with products that aren't known by people in charge of IT. So could you could you both enlighten us a little bit sort of on what the consequences are of shadow IT and of, of citizen development? Right, I can give it a go. Um, so so seeing from from my perspective on on, on the shadow IT from a from a corporate perspective, reducing shadow IT is is going to be a, a big task and something that that's going to focus on because you want to centralize the processes, you want to be in control. But I think where IT departments lack is actually being able to offer newer, more modern tools to the business because IT has been focusing on delivering IT tools. So there is a, there is also a gap from, from what the, the traditional role of IT is compared to what the business actually wants and needs. And that's why you see more and more business users uh, going out and, and, and buying these no-code or, or visual automation tools based on their needs, based on their project, because they have a solution or they have a problem that they need a solution for. Then they reach out to IT. IT say, you can either use this uh, coding tool and it will take your developer to, to develop it for, for one month, or you will need to wait to one of our resources uh, already. And, and that's just not viable because as a business and agility, you need to be able to react fast. So if I'm a business person and I want to automate something, I need to be able to do it myself and I need to be able to do it quickly. And that's why shadow IT is, is, uh, is a growing 
phenomena because IT uh, do not deliver the tools that the business users can actually use themselves. Would you agree, Florian? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a valid point, and uh, I did work in quite a few places where shadow IT had uh, had a say and the budget. Of course, that's the key role here. Usually, business departments have this budget that they can use, and they basically go in parallel with the actual IT department. Because as Walter mentioned, the IT has other things on their plate and cannot uh, keep up with uh, with the actual business uh, evolution and their needs. So it's very important for the IT departments to understand the benefits of these kind of solutions. And of course, it's not by now and benefit straight away. Of course, you have some benefits straight away, but you need to put some kind of rules and a framework in place. Of course, you cannot allow business users to automate everything across the company. They might impact all your systems. You need to put a framework in place where you basically review what they do, help them out in certain sessions, do a training, do proper onboarding. So there is a there is a cycle and, and an ecosystem that you need to put around these tools. But once you implement them and once you adopt them properly, you would take some of the overhead from the IT department onto the business side because they are able to do things on their own. They will not come to the IT department all the time. And then you can focus in the IT department on more strategic things and maybe on to how to evolve this IT landscape better to serve the actual business, which will bring you more revenue in the end. So I think that's uh, that's key. And it's a, it's a very good point. Let's go back to this. You talked about scaling and maintainability a little bit. Could you, could you say a little bit, like in practice, how is it that it enables scalability. What happens when you have 20 floors versus 2,000 floors? What is the practical implication of that? Well, first of all, if you have to manage hundreds of floors or thousands of floors, uh, it's very difficult to keep track of what changes. So you have changes in various locations. Either the process has changed and you need to update the flow, or the underlying application has changed, which happens a lot, or there's um, or even more underlying reason for it, and that's the actual infrastructure which changes. This is uh, creating a lot of issues in this unattended automation world, both for testing and uh, RPA. And it's quite important to detect your points of impact, basically, where something happened that impacts your automation flows in a very controllable and uh, manageable way. If you have to go to coding lines or you have to open each individual flow to identify what happened, then of course it's not really scalable. You cannot do that for 2,000 or 3,000 flows every day because you might have an error every single day. Uh, it's it's not doable, so you cannot do that. So of course having a smart tool and a, a no-code approach, a tool that will point you in the right direction without having to go to manual steps and uh, individual investigations of all your flows, it will enable you to have more flows and to manage more flows. Also. Creating more flows, it's key. As Walter mentioned, the visual language is quite important. So the more intuitive the language is and the more or the closer it is to the actual processes like uh, we have in our tool, the the, uh, building blocks or the boxes that are connected by the arrows where the execution and the data flows together. I think that's very intuitive for anyone who understands a process or who has ever seen a process which is quite quite useful when you want to scale and create more processes. 
uh, you will be able to bring on board more people, not just your IT people, but also business people who understand processes, are able to create more flows. And of course, then you have a, a larger pool of automation that you can pick from. And of course, you might not go for all of them into a production environment or to actually using them, but you can generate a lot more ideas and a lot faster by utilizing your employees a lot better. And in addition to, you know, scaling, I think, number of flows is also the, as you said before, then what happens when a test fails, you need to find out what happens. And we have a video that records the automation process in itself. And then this, all these logged activities on the side, and then you can kind of follow in the flow where that logged activity fails. Having features like that, I think it really speeds up everything when you use the tool and not just uh, when you set it up. Yeah, again, this is a very good enabler for somebody who, who wants to automate and some something fails. Uh, it's a three-way match what we have in the platform where you have the flow that you have developed, uh, the automation, then you have the execution log, uh, so what happened in that particular execution, and also then you have the video, the actual action on the screen uh, where the flow has clicked, typed, um, and the element that uh, it interacted with. So this uh, three-way match would give you very easily the point of failure, and you can see it, see the log, whatever you prefer, but also see uh, the failure point in your automation flow that you just need to fix. Yeah, zooming out sort of again and looking at sort of the, the larger IT landscape, because a lot of businesses today have very complex uh, IT landscapes. It's not just one application. It's not just one process. And it's not just in the testing environment. Some also have in the production environment and in different kinds, you know, testing different interfaces, especially now with, uh, you know, increasing amount of digital services and digital products. Um, web applications become more important alongside desktop and everything else that you have, legacy systems. How, again, for, for, for anyone who doesn't, know how product that well haven't seen it before when you zoom out like how how big of a difference does it make that you can keep that overview in a visual way versus i guess i'm this is a leading question but <laughs> versus i mean imagine the amount of of code that you would have to for anyone as a business person coming in again walter you probably have showed this to customers who have who have seen you know how it becomes manageable all of a sudden because you don't have lines and lines and lines of code you can actually see where your applications are in the process. Right. So I think this relates back to, to what we discussed about the ability of scaling because seen from my side, you can scale in, in different ways, right? You can have one application and scale the coverage. So meaning more flows within the same application. You can also scale who can automate. So the business person and, and, and the developer and and the IT person, you will actually be able to scale who can automate. And then you're also able to scale what you're actually pointing right out, different types of applications. So scaling the entire application landscape. And many companies today, they work in, in, in different silos. And, and we keep going back to this visual language because this unified scripting and coding is many, many languages, right? So you have, for example, uh, the, the JavaScript, right? Let's say that represents... German. So Java only caters for the people who understand German, right? Then you have Python. Python could be uh, Danish. So it would only cater for the people who understand Danish. And when we talk about this visual language, I would I would align it to something like English. It's, it's something that everybody can relate to no matter what nationality you are. 
So, so having this unified language, I think, is, is going to be key when it comes to the whole scaling across technologies, the test coverage, and also who can use automation across the enterprise. Yeah, it's not just difficult to understand different language. It can even, even if a developer, you know, you can explain this better than I, Florent, but even if you've written something, um, someone else comes and tries to read what you've written, even if it's the same language, it can actually still be difficult to understand because it's it's your own way of interpreting that language. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And um, programming languages do evolve. Uh, new ways of, or new libraries appear every day. If you talk about Python, uh, you have probably a new library or a new version every single day. So of course, whoever comes and looks at somebody else's code might do things differently. So that also increases uh, a bit of uh, scope uh, creep, basically, where you might do things differently, uh, although they mean the same thing. Programming languages are quite uh, prone to that, unfortunately. Uh, having a tool, as you mentioned, Walter, pretty valid point across technology. So you can take a person who automated JavaScript and now he can automate also SAP or another business application. Uh, it's very valuable because you can reuse your skills. For example, for a tester who has done automated testing, can move maybe into the business and help them with processes to process invoices now maybe uh, because that brings a lot more value to the, to the company. So of course, uh, again, the skills uh, gap and the skills building using a unified visual language, but also an automation platform which works across technology brings a lot of benefits also to the people who are learning this way of doing things. Yeah, you kind of just wrapped it all up there, all the benefits, <laughs> I think. Um, but if, if we were to wrap this up even further, we always talk of the three key drivers for automation. Walter, maybe you can lay those out for us. Right, so so the first one would would be productivity and efficiency. Of course, you remove all the error-prone repetitive tasks and get an, an agent or a robot or, or the automation tool to actually do everything. And that, of course, free up time. So that person can either do more extensive testing or do some business tasks, as, as Florin said, that brings much more value to the table. The second thing is because you are more productive, more effective, right? The test coverage go on naturally. And that, of course, reduces um, the risk, which would be the second one. Because if you catch the box before they move into the production, you'll have a better quality and a better customer experience. And third is basically a combination of, of both two. If you have a better quality, your employees are, are more effective, of course, you will have a reduction in cost. And, and we see, um, I've been working now on a few business cases with, with companies uh, across Europe. And the ROI when engaging with us is actually quite phenomenal. And we even see cases where the break-even is six months. We've talked about a lot of key things here. We've, we've been around lots of things like uh, scalability and maintainability, uh, the citizen developers, uh, the difference between no-code and low-code, um, and of course, this sort of the skills gap and, and how it really brings down those barriers, how no-code brings down those barriers to collaboration, which is key in becoming more agile. Yeah, any final remarks here at last? I think we've... we've been around but yeah yeah i mean maybe one thing uh, just to point out again uh, for those who are very passionate about coding and uh, low code tools or places where they can 
have more impact. If you learn a no-code tool, you can still bring a lot to the table. So you would know the tool and then you would start understanding the business processes a lot better. And that brings uh, more business benefits. So for developers or testers or automation specialists, you can call them whatever you want. But still, they should think of themselves as bringing value, not necessarily knowing a language and that being a, a key that locks a door but rather knowing this no-code approach and an automation tool uh, would allow them to open another door of them, maybe bringing more value to the company and maybe taking a step into the business and having a new role outside of IT. There are roles outside of IT which uh, can bring a lot of value by automating things. And I think people with technical background can also bring their expertise there and would bring a lot of benefits to, to those companies. So they should keep an open mind, not to look for those uh, locks uh, to, to close certain things, but rather uh, the, the keys to open new doors for them and for their respective businesses. All right, I think that's a really good point. What about you, Walter? What do, you, um, do you have any last remarks here and advice? Right, so there's one thing I think we have not touched upon. I was having this conversation um, with an Irish insurance company and basically they were in the transition from going to uh, manual work to automation tooling. And their major challenge was, as we have mentioned many times, skills gap. But what we have not mentioned is that finding people who knows how to code and how to script are very difficult. So I pointed that out to them saying, now that you are starting on your automation journey, can you actually find developers that are good at coding? And they basically said, well, we can find developers. They're not in abundance with what we can find. However, what we cannot find is good testers who know how to code. And that is a, a major challenge when we talk about scalability, that good testers that know how to code are basically a scarce resource. So as a company, when you want to grow and scale and move into the automation space, in order to be successful, you need to have manual testers or functional testers or business users to be able to do that work from you. And with a low code and a code solution, that's not possible. You need a fully 100% no code solution. And if you even have a, a visual language on top of that, that would ensure that everybody understands you. That would even make it uh, more feasible. All right, and I think that's a really good point because even even when, if you do find those people and you can dedicate their time to setting up automation, they'll be building automation, right? But then what about maintaining it? And that's where you need more resources. And that's what you said. It, it comes back to being able to scale it in the long term. And, and it naturally puts a, puts a cap Absolutely. on that scaling. Absolutely. Great. With that, I, I want to say thank you to you both for joining today's episode. Uh, to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, we'd love it if you leave a review and subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or on iTunes. I'm Maria Homan, and this was a podcast brought to you by Leapwork. Mm-hmm.